Democratic base is very dialed into abortion rights as an issue more broadly. Uh, Same-sex marriage, right. Closed the state's last abortion Mr. provider. Now apologize to his congregation. They believe the Bible has application for every would violate her views as a Southern Baptist. He's on camera saying that Bill Barr was a great attorney general In the midst of all of today's noise and confusion, we need a voice that cuts through the chaos to bring wisdom and clarity. Welcome to The Roy's Report with Julie Roy's, an hour-long show exploring critical issues related to faith and culture from a uniquely Christian perspective. Now, here's your host, Julie Roy's. Well, spiritual abuse, it's become a popular buzzword following the recent scandals in the church, but what is it? And how can you tell if you're a victim of spiritual abuse? Welcome to the Roy's Report, brought to you in part by Judson University. I'm Julie Roy's, and today we're going to be exploring a topic that rarely gets discussed in Christian circles, and yet spiritual abuse has become this huge issue with some Christian leaders abusing their power But they often cloak their abuse in spiritual language, and they take Scripture out of context. And many of us, instead of being able to name what's happening, we find ourselves in a kind of spiritual and relational vertigo. We're confused, we're hurt, manipulated, and by the time we figure out what's going on, we're in so deep that we don't know how to get out. Well, some of you right now are probably thinking, hey, that's me. I think I've been through that. Um, I know a little bit about this because I've spent the past 12 to 18 months reporting about spiritually abusive churches and megachurch pastors who have engaged in spiritual abuse. And yet, spiritual abuse really can happen at churches and Christian institutions of any size. And I truly believe that the best way to battle it is education, not just for lay people like me, uh, but also for pastors and Christian leaders. Some, some of us may resort to spiritual abuse without even knowing it. And that's why I'm so excited about today's program, and I'm thrilled that Dr. Wade Mullen, the head of the DMIN program at Capital Seminary and Graduate School in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, is joining me. Wade is a passionate abuse advocate, and he's someone who actually did his entire doctoral thesis on how evangelical organizations use impression management strategies, often spiritually abusive strategies, when they're faced with a crisis. Wade also will be a keynote speaker at a conference I'm hosting Saturday, November 2nd at Judson University called Restore Chicago, and I'll be talking more about that later. But Wade, welcome. I am just so excited that you could join me today. Thank you, Julie. It's great to be on the show. So, Wade, let's just start with a definition, because I think a lot of people have heard maybe spiritual abuse, but they're not really sure what it is. Um, And some listening probably have never heard this term. So what is spiritual abuse? I define it as an attempt by a person to use all that encompasses another person's spiritual life, their beliefs, their faith, their experiences, their hopes. The person uses that to coerce and control, manipulate that other person, their victim, so that that person, that target, that victim, ends up serving the abuser's agenda. Hmm. And this is something that isn't just an academic issue to you, although it is an academic issue. You've done incredible research on this. But this is personal, too, isn't it? It is. Yeah, I I went through a very difficult uh, period of time in which I found myself, myself surrounded by those who were using spiritual abuse to control me and 
And the nature of spiritual abuse is such that you often don't see it. Uh, I use the image of a garden, that the abusive person often will build a garden and then invite people into that garden to explore it, to enjoy it. And then once they've settled down, once trust has been established, all of a sudden the flowery surface is, is released and below that surface is a pit that the abuser has built below that garden. And so in that moment, you find yourself suddenly confused, you know, what's happening, um, what's happening to the world around me. And at the same time, you find yourself trapped and this sense of, of captivity uh, suddenly just envelops you. And, and so we often think of the abusive person perhaps as, you know, carrying around chains and, and dragging people into those pits. But more often the case, especially with spiritual abuse, is that that religious leader, that spiritual abuser, has, has created a garden, has laid a foundation of trust. And then before you know it, um, you look up and you're surrounded by, by walls. And so I went through that, and it was, it was very difficult. And uh, the leaders in my life uh, were attempting to control my behavior. Um, I, I remember once uh, sitting across from someone who had power over me, and I was attempting to shine a light on, on some behavior. And I was asked the question, when did this root of bitterness begin in you? Where did this anger come from? And, and I recall speaking to this individual in the way that I'm speaking to you now. And so that was a very confusing moment for me because that person was using something that I believe in. I do believe that we need to guard our language and guard our heart and to speak with um, a, a, a gentleness and, and a love. And so I went back thinking to myself, you know, am I this angry person and am I acting out of, out of anger? And so I decided, I remember that night leaving that meeting to write down all of the things that had angered me for the, for over the course of, of seven years. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize how much was, was there. And I spent an entire night um, writing simply the words, I was angry when, and then I lifted it, I was angry when. And seven pages later, I realized that I had every right to be angry, that these, that there were so many people who were being mistreated, so many people who were trapped, who were being victimized by this oppressive and abusive power. But I, but I was um, a target of that spiritual abuse myself. So, yes, I, I approach this as a researcher, but also as somebody who has experienced many of these tactics myself. And you mentioned just now, I mean, this is one of the main hallmarks of spiritual abuse, as I understand it, is that if you highlight a problem, if you raise a problem, then the abuser says, there is no problem, you're the problem, right? And I think that's why it becomes just something where we feel sort of the spiritual vertigo, like we don't know which way is up, and we're like, is it me? And as Christians, I mean, if you're a conscientious Christian, and this is what I think is so insidious about it, if you're a conscientious Christian, you always know that you need to examine your heart first, right? You take the plank out of your own eye before you can remove the speck in somebody else's. And so the more conscientious you are, the more you want to please Jesus, 
almost mm-hmm. in some ways the more susceptible you are to being abused and manipulated by somebody who knows how to take those scriptures and use them against you. And you're like, wait, is there sin in my heart? Well, I mean, who of us is without sin, right? And so it, it does kind of get this, this vertigo. How do you know when you're in this? I mean, it sounds like you did this exercise that I think would be he- healthy for a lot of people. But how do you know when you're in this, if it's you or it's somebody else, or, you know, maybe it's both of you? I think one of the... Uh question that you can ask yourself is, what is true? Mm. Um, I'm hearing this message, and I want to ask the question, is this message true? And also uh, tune into your own response to that. Uh, So often the abusive person, the person who has dark secrets to hide, the person who sees truth as a threat, is going to immediately react with defensiveness, um, often with intimidation, uh, what you described earlier, you know, when, when you speak up and you name a concern, you, often you become the problem. That's a tactic called condemning the, the, the condemner. Hmm. And so if you respond in that way, then perhaps there, there is something there. Uh, but if you hear somebody say to, say to you, I've noticed this in you, I think the, the authentic, um, normal response is to ask the question, is that true? Are there other people who see this in me? And to even go before the Lord and say, Lord, search, search my heart. And so it often requires going through this process of talking to the Lord, talking to other people, and asking the question, is what this person said about me true? And... But even if time, it is true, yeah. even if it is true, yeah. it doesn't mean that what you're saying about that person isn't true too and needs to be addressed. Oh, right? exactly, right. So, and and what's happening then often is that person is using something against you um, in order to silence you or to harm you in some way. Whereas you might be bringing a concern because you actually care about that person and you care about the effects that that behavior is having on on uh, on other people. Hmm. Well, that's Dr. Wade Mullen, head of the Demon Program at Capital Seminary and Graduate School. We're talking about spiritual abuse today. And coming up next, what we're going to do is sort of a case study on spiritual abuse concerning a leader in an organization that I wrote about this week. It concerns preserving the image of a Christian football coach after he's been embroiled in a sex scandal. True story. You're going to want to stay tuned. I think it's going to be really instructive. We'll be right back after a short break. Return to the Roy's Report. Here's your host, Julie Roy's. What do you do when someone has done something absolutely reprehensible and he gets up and says, Hey, we all make mistakes. I'm sorry for mine. Will you forgive me and welcome me back into leadership? Welcome back to the Roy's Report. I'm Julie Roy's, and today we're discussing spiritual abuse and how Christian leaders can sometimes use good sounding phrases and even scripture to cover their sin and manipulate others. And sometimes they get us to overlook the reprehensible things that they do. Joining me today to discuss this uh, issue of spiritual abuse is Dr. Wade Mullen, head of the MDiv program at Capital Seminary and Graduate School. And you can join our discussion online by going to facebook.com slash 
Julie Royce, and Royce is spelled R-O-Y-S, or on Twitter. My handle is at ReachJulieRoyce. So, Wade, uh, we're going to do sort of a case study of spiritual abuse. And actually, this is how I became aware of your work. Um, You published something shortly after I published my World Magazine expose on Harvest Bible Chapel and James McDonald. Uh, Harvest responded with a statement to my World Magazine piece, and then you uh, published something really exposing the manipulative tactics that were in that statement. And that was just, I mean, I read that, and it was one of those things, Wade, where you know, you, you kind of sense things, but you don't really get it till you see it in print. And uh, you just so brilliantly uh, expose those tactics. So uh, what I wanted to do, and by the way, you can read that at my website, julieroys.com. I have that, that piece that Wade uh, wrote up uh, on the website. But rather than go to that, which is kind of old news, uh, I just wrote a story this week that's an incredible example of what we're talking about. And it involves a coach, Hugh Freeze. Now, Freeze is the head football coach at Liberty University. But two years ago, he resigned as the football coach at Old Miss in disgrace after it was discovered that he had repeatedly called escort services on his university-issued phone. Now, Freeze uh, is an outspoken Christian. He was constantly tweeting scripture and praying with his team. So this was just a, a horrible scandal. And as Freeze, how do you come back from something like that? Well, Freeze actually went dark for about six months, and then suddenly he appears as the featured speaker at a convocation service at Liberty University. And he gets up, and after alluding cryptically to a private sin that Freeze claimed he had confessed to his wife and two others before it became public, Freeze told the audience that he was sorry, and he asked them for forgiveness. And the student body audibly responds with, we forgive you. And then, sort of cast as a model of contrition, Freeze gets hired a few months later by Liberty as their new head coach. Now, there are a lot of things about this story that raise red flags for me. Some of it stems from my conversation with Freeze this week. I had a DM conversation with him on Twitter, and I write about that in in the article I published. Um, And during that conversation, I pressed Freeze about some of the details concerning the scandal he was involved in. And there were things that he said that simply don't match the facts. And again, you can read that at julieroys.com. But what I want to do right now is unpack what happened at this Liberty Convocation Service, because there's so much here that appears, at least as I'm, as I'm hearing it, seems to be some spiritual manipulation there, and I think it's instructive for us. And I want to start by playing a clip from the convocation. And what you're going to hear is David Nasser. He's the Senior Vice President for Spiritual Development at Liberty, and he's introducing Hugh Freeze, this uh, college coach who has, again, been disgraced. Six months, he's gone dark. This is the first time we hear publicly from him. And this is how David Nasser introduces him. If you are a football fan, especially a college football fan, you're no stranger to uh, what most people believe is one of the great offensive minds uh, of the game, Coach Hugh Freeze. And I want to say this to you. Uh, I've had an opportunity in the last month and a half to get to know the Freeze family a little bit, not just in a couple of meals that we've had together, but just conversations. And um, I've been so impressed with their authentic love for the Lord and their passion their, their, honestly, commitment to see God glorified in and through every bit of their story. Okay, again, that's David Nasser of Liberty University indru- introducing Hugh Freeze, who's speaking for the first time after resigning from Old Miss in disgrace. Wade, you're the expert. What do you hear in that introduction? Yeah, I hear at least 
two things listening to it. Uh, first, I hear what it, what is uh, called in the research exemplification, where the spokesperson is seeking to establish somebody else as an exemplar. You know, so Hugh is one of the uh, brightest minds, uh, one of the best offensive minds in all of college football. And then the second is a an attempt to polish the positive attributes of, of, of Hugh. And so he's saying, hey, you know, I've gotten to know this guy. Um, we've had a couple meals together. And so I can vouch for his commitment uh, to, to, to the Lord, the strength of his faith. And so that's a tactic that I call polishing. Okay, here's somebody that we might be associated with. And so what we're going to do is we're going to spotlight what the audience might perceive to be positive attributes in order to strengthen uh, the endorsement uh, that, that's happening right here. And so that's what's happening at a, at, a, at a broad level. What's happening before he was about to get up and speak is David is serving as an endorser of Hugh. And so that's one of the, one of the steps in an, in an attempt to come back from a scandal is to receive endorsements from, a, from, from other people. Hmm. And these are, you talk about macro level and sort of micro level of, of spiritual abuse. Um, part of the macro level is defining the narrative. So all of this is sort of defining the narrative. But then you talk about sort of using excuses to manage perceptions. And there's a clip I want to play, and this is where Hugh is speaking, and he's talking about what happened with this whole scandal that happened at Old Miss. And my world got rocked in 2017. And all the walls came crumbling down. When what I thought was a private sin that I had struggled with, confessed to my wife, to two of my friends in 2016, what I thought was private and I was dealing with and was in my rearview mirror in the past, when it became public knowledge, in July of 2017, my world crumbled and the question started being asked, man, is his faith real? Is his faith genuine? I begin to ask, is it possible that you can have a genuine faith and also have a season in your life that you struggle with a sin? And I start studying the scripture and I find out that it's true for every single believer. Every single one of us are broken. Every single one of us are broken. Okay, so Wade, what are you hearing there with Hugh Free speaking? Well, it's an ongoing attempt to define the situation for the audience, and that's one of the primary goals of somebody who's trying to control what other people are thinking is to de- is to define a scandal, uh, something wrong, some kind of offense for them so that they don't define it themselves. And so going, even going back to that macro level of what happens after a scandal, typically the first step is the person will seek to distance themselves from the details that might disrupt that, that, that definition. And so calling it a mistake, uh, calling it uh, something vague, something in, 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 in ambiguous, it's, there's a this strategic ambiguity that, that is taking place. 
Mm. And then the second step, you know, once that definition is established, then the second step is to manage people's impressions of of that. And so there's this ongoing need to offer up excuses and justifications. Anytime that definition is is challenged to manage people's perceptions. And then the third step is to claim some kind of forgiveness or status that the, that person now feels entitled to. And then the last step is to receive endorsements from, from uh, other people. And so that's sort of the, the macro level of those steps that, that, that we're seeing here. But at the, the micro level, here's just an example of what we heard in this clip is of an attempt uh, to blur those lines of reality. And so this isn't something that he's, from my, from my perspective, that he's speaking with a great, uh, he's not naming it specifically what happened. Well, and, that's, and so he, that for me yeah. is the big issue. Here he's been a part of this huge scandal. He's never spoken publicly. Here he gets up for the first time to speak publicly. I'm expecting him to, to own publicly, not say some private sin and, and vaguely put it out there and say, hey, we all make mistakes. Well, we don't all call escort services and we don't all say when we're confronted about the escort service, oh, I must have I must have misdialed. That's how that number got on my phone records. <laughs> I'm Julie Royce. I'm talking with Dr. Wade Mullen. We'll be right back. We need to go to a break. But when we do, we'll be discussing more spiritual abuse, the language of abuse and how you can detect it. We will be right back after a short break. Former U.S. Ambassador Caroline Kennedy is coming to the Chicago area this October for a special conversation at Judson University's 2019 World Leaders Forum. Learn how Kennedy, a diplomat and author and the eldest child of President John F. Kennedy, carries on her father's legacy of public service at this unique opportunity for the Chicagoland community. Get your tickets today for this lively conversation hosted by nationally syndicated radio host and commentator Eric Metaxas. The World Leaders Forum brings recognized world leaders to the region each year to inspire leadership for all who attend. Many great thinkers and leaders have keynoted this prominent event. You won't want to miss Caroline Kennedy this fall. Judson University's 2019 World Leaders Forum is October 8th, 7 p.m. at the Renaissance Schomburg Convention Center. Tickets start at $75 and are available now at judsonu.edu slash WLF. Once again, tickets available now at judsonu.edu slash WLF. Now, more of the Roy's Report. Once again, here's Julie Roy's. Welcome back to the Roy's Report, brought to you in part by Judson University. I'm Julie Roy's, and today we're discussing spiritual abuse, which is just abuse and uh, an abuse of power by someone in spiritual authority. And often that power is expressed through spiritual language, even scripture. But instead of using scripture in context to edify someone, it's often used to manipulate or even victimize. It's horribly insidious, and often it's quite difficult to identify when it's happening. And that's why I'm thrilled to have Dr. Wade Mullen with me today. Wade is an expert on spiritual abuse and the head of the MDiv program at Capital Seminary and Graduate School. He's also a keynote speaker at a conference I'm hosting on Saturday, November 2nd at Judson University called Restore Chicago. This entire conference is designed to be a time of healing and restoration for people who've been victims of toxic spiritual systems. It's also a time of gathering people together who are passionate 
about restoring the purity of God's church. So I hope you'll consider joining us. For more information on that, just go to RestoreChicagoConference.com. That's RestoreChicagoConference.com. Also, I want to mention, if you're just joining the program and want to listen to the entire broadcast, or you just want to share it with friends, the entire audio will be available shortly after this broadcast at JulieRoy, spelled R-O-Y-S, dot com. Well, Wade, uh, before the break, you mentioned that one of the tactics used uh, in spiritual abuse is claiming entitlement. And we were uh, playing some clips from a convocation message that um, Hugh Freeze, who is this disgraced uh, former Old Miss football coach who was caught um, contacting escort services, and here he is an, an outspoken Christian, but he, he comes to Liberty University and is a main speaker at the convocation service and gives a, a message that's very compelling um, but has some of these elements that we've been looking at. And after uh, sort of vaguely talking, referring to a private sin in his life, then um, he asked for forgiveness. Listen up. In this room, we're gathered from all different cultures, backgrounds, religions, and man, it, it's, it's different. You put a team in a room, it's different. And love is the ability to handle all of those inconveniences. And there's two sides to that coin, and I found myself on one side where I had to say to people that I love, I am sorry. Please forgive me. And today is really the first day that I can tell the faith family, I am sorry. Please forgive me. Again, that's Hugh Freeze and Wade. I'm just going to throw that to you. What are you hearing there in what, uh, in what Hugh says? Well, this is such a difficult moment uh, for anybody who is on the receiving end of a request for forgiveness or a demand for forgiveness. And what I tell people is that you have to go back to the definition itself. Has this person named the wrong? Healing isn't possible until the person who has committed the offense is willing and able to rightly name what that offense is. And so forgiveness is often exploited in an effort to prevent people from going back to that definition or to ask questions about that definition. Because the next step is once you're forgiven is to then say, now let's move on. Let's forget about this. Forgiveness has been granted. So I call this the, the forgiveness credit. So that anytime somebody brings something like this up, the person claims that credit, says forgiveness has been credit, credited to, to me from God, therefore you ought to accept that as well. And it's such a powerful tactic. And what often people miss is the fact that the wrong has not yet been defined, that truth has not yet been revealed and confessed and discovered. And any time forgiveness is being used to uh, prevent that discovery of truth or to rush past the acknowledgement of that, of that truth, then forgiveness is being exploited. Mm. And that was my issue here, and it was interesting. I went back just this week and had a DM uh, conversation with Hugh Freeze and asking him, because he's never said what he exactly did. And he said, for example, he said, I, I didn't call escort services. It, it was something else. And I, well, well, what was it? Yeah. Well, it was a massage service. Well, that's interesting, because all the news reports say that these, these are escort services. And, and then um, 
also asking him why when you were first confronted for this why why did you say oh i must have misdialed you know you're saying that you confessed it uh in fact he does in this convocation say he confessed it actually a year and a half before it it became public well if that's the case why when you're confronted with it do you tell reporters something that's misleading why do you tell your own administration something that's misleading? So a real problem with this. And these, these poor students at Liberty, they, they have no idea, probably. I mean, some of them are football fans and have followed yeah, it. But this happened at Ole Miss, you know, in Mississippi. We're, we're in Virginia, Lynchburg, Virginia. And he's asking them for forgiveness. What, he, they, they're not even the ones that he offended. It, it just seemed like a bizarre setup. Let me go to another clip um, where uh, he says, well, let me just play it and then I'll have you comment on it. I cannot control what people say, what people think, nor can you. But I can make up my mind, and my mind is set. It is settled. My eyes are clear, my heart is full, my feet are pointed forward, and I am looking forward with thanksgiving to what God has for me and my family next because of his great love and his great forgiveness. Wow. I mean, he sounds like a preacher. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, what's happening there? <laughs> well, uh, what might be happening, uh, any, you know, I see this all the time where somebody is, is trying to, what, what he's trying to do is draw this positive connection to God so that people see him as being positively associated with God. And so the spiritually abusive person becomes a master at drawing these connections. So I'm connected to God, and then often at the same time they're saying, you or those who are talking about me or those who are tweeting about me, those who are raising concerns, they're, they're connected to something negative, perhaps you know, evil intent or hatred or even demonic forces. And so now that, that's not necessarily what he is doing here, but what he's doing is he's drawing these connections to the supernatural, and he's saying, I am positive, I am a recipient of God's grace and his forgiveness, I'm a, um, then a, a, a messenger of God to your life, you know, so this is a powerful uh, tactic within spiritual abuse that's often used to control people. So he's using these different connections, and even uh, shortly after that, he draws a connection between himself and David and Paul. See, what he's attempting to do is he's attempting to align himself with those that the audience, he knows that the audience perceives in a positive light. Hmm. Well, and I'm sure as you're listening right now, you're thinking, wow, I've heard that before. I've seen Christian leaders do that before. Maybe somebody you know right now who's in spiritual authority over you is doing that right now. And so that's part of the reason why we're playing these, why we're going through it, is so that you can identify these things when it happens to you. But this is just an incredible example of of what, what happened, of spiritual abuse, I think. But you've got to stay tuned. Coming up next, you're going to hear what Jerry Falwell Jr., the president of Liberty University, gets up and says talks. Absolutely stunning. Again, you're listening to The Roy's Report. I'm Julie Roy's speaking today with Wade Mullen. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to The Roy's Report with Julie Roy's. The Roy's Report is a listener-supported program, and we're only able to broadcast this program with donations from listeners like you. If you'd like to see this quality program continue, please go to julieroy's, spelled R-O-Y-S, dot com, and click on the donate button. This is the Royce Report with Julie Royce. 
What do you do when you've been the victim of spiritual abuse? Welcome back to The Roy's Report. I'm Julie Royce, and today we're discussing abuse from those in spiritual authority and the devastating impact it has on people. And sadly, there are those who love Jesus but have vowed never to darken the doors of a church again because a pastor, a priest, uh, somebody who's a Christian leader has abused or manipulated them, and that's why this is so damaging. And I'm so glad to have joining me today Dr. Wade Mullen, an expert in spiritual abuse and the head of the MDiv program at Capital University and Graduate School. Wade also is a keynote speaker at my upcoming conference, Restore Chicago. And I urge you, if you haven't already, think about registering for this event. It's going to be a powerful day of encouragement, education, and just Holy Spirit anointed worship. I'm so excited. Josh Caterer, um, someone who used to be a worship leader at Harvest Bible Chapel. This guy knows about spiritual abuse firsthand. He's going to be joining us uh, and leading worship along with Ann Green, who's a former uh, worship leader at Harvest as well. She bravely spoke up about some of the abuse happening by a pastor or former pastor, James McDonald. Also joining me, Nancy Beach, former teaching pastor at Willow Creek, who was one of the women who spoke out against some of the stuff that was happening with Bill Hybels. It's just going to be a unique, one-of-a-kind um, gathering, and I really, really hope that you're going to be there. It's incredibly needed right now. So to get more information, just go to RestoreChicagoConference.com. That's RestoreChicagoConference.com. But Wade, before the break, uh, I said I was going to play a clip by Jerry Falwell Jr. And um, Jerry Falwell got up after Hugh Freeze, again, this disgraced um, former coach at Ole Miss, who, who had been found calling escort, multiple escort services uh, over several years, um, has to resign because of that, also was involved in recruiting violations. Um, he goes dark for six months, gets up and speaks at a liberty convocation. And you just so beautifully, Wade, um, outlined what he did and how he did it to kind of set himself up as, as a very sympathetic figure that everybody should forgive, even though he never names the sin that he did, never specifically names anything. <clears throat> but at the end of this, Jerry Falwell Jr., the president of Liberty, gets up and makes what I think is just a stunning statement. So let me play that, and then uh, I'll allow you to comment on it. Dave, I don't usually chime in. I'm not a pastor on things like this, but I just want to say, convocations like this is what makes me so proud of Liberty students because so many Christians today are so-called Christians. Read Twitter comments, read any... They're the most judgmental, unforgiving group of people in the world. And Jesus Jesus said that he... When the crowd wanted to stone the sinner, he said that he who is without sin cast the first stone. And he said... He said... Um, when he talked about the religious elite, those were the ones that he wasn't so charitable towards. He said, they're a generation of vipers, they're hypocrites, they make clean the outside of the platter, but inside are ravenous wolves. And he said, all of us are sinners. And he said that if, if you lust after a woman in your heart, it's the same as if you committed adultery. So none of us can, can claim to be any better than the other. But so many so-called Christians, and it gets so, I get so mad reading those comments on Twitter. <laughs> hmm. So, Wade, I mean, it, it sounds to me like if you don't forgive Hugh Freeze for, for what he did, even though he hasn't really offered any specific confession, you're, you're a brood of viper, right? Yes, uh, and if you do forgive, then you're like Jesus. And, <laughs> right. uh, and, that's, and 
Yeah, and that's where these connections are happening. And so it's not just that he's going after those who might go online and voice their concerns, but he's also addressing the students there. The, the, the students are the audience, so you have to remember the setting here. So the students are the audience, so there's something that they want from that student body. They want mm-hmm. what I'm hearing is their support. They want their endorsement. So this is about endorsement. They want the endorsement of the student body. Uh, Hugh is about to become the football coach. They need their endorsement. And so what they're putting on is, is what Irving Goffman, uh, the late Canadian social, sociologist, calls a team performance. So you have multiple voices here, which is interesting. So now Jerry Falwell is lending his voice. And so together they are putting forth a definition and he's, and he's really now putting the students into one of two camps and they have, there's no middle ground. There's no room for critical thinking, even ironically in a, in a mm. place of higher learning that you must either uh, forgive and extend love and grace. And if you do, then you're the object of my pride. I'm proud of you. Uh, you are like Jesus, and if you don't, you are like the religious leaders who wanted who wanted to pick up a stone and kill the woman who was caught in uh, adultery. And this is a powerful, powerful attempt to draw these connections. Again, this is what's happening. What often people don't see are these threads. You can, see, you can think of the whole thing as like a spider web, and the person is weaving this thread, and people, this, this web, and people find themselves caught in these threads as these connections are being established, connecting those who are on their side to God, to Jesus, to all the things that they might view as positive, and then viewing everyone who might be uh, still um, uh, uncomfortable with this on the fence, still wanting to ask questions, it, it connects them to everything that is perceived to be wrong and bad. And in fact, they might not even be Christians. And so this is just um, very effective. And, and imagine being in that room. Uh, imagine being a student. Imagine being an employee, even yeah. during this. What do you What do you do if you have a problem with this? You can't if do you anything. Say anything. It's a setup, yeah. right? It's a setup. So if you say anything, uh, then you are immediately associated with the religious leaders, or perhaps even not really a Christian, someone who is unforgiving, someone who has a stone in their hand. But right. he simply wants to punish this person. Well, and I see this on social media. Anytime I publish a story that's, you know, reveals something negative about a Christian leader or institution, I get this stuff all the time. I'm so used to it now. It really doesn't have any impact. But when I heard this, too, it reminded me of uh, James McDonald, the former pastor at Harvest Bible Chapel. Back in 2013, he excommunicated a whole bunch of elders for the sin of actually coming to the elder board and saying, James McDonald has like 12 different characteristics that disqualify him for ministry. And for that, within 24 hours, they were excommunicated. James McDonald, after a year of trying to do damage control for excommunicating them and calling them, you know, satanic to the core. I mean, the things the elders said were just unbelievable. Um, And it's not working. So a year later, he gets up and he does what was sort of, uh, as I talked to, you know, the three elders that um, he had kind of negotiated this apology and for them to accept, 
um, he gets up and he does a faux apology and he says, you know, we were kind of wrong and we were kind of too harsh on them when we had discipline. But, you know, it was necessary, but we did the way we did it was wrong. So it was kind of like we were wrong in the way we were right. But then when he was done, it was like, okay, I'm done. I've asked for forgiveness and it's all good now. You know, the same thing, you know, I, I see this happen with disgraced pastor after disgraced pastor who should be disqualified for what they did. But instead, they come out, they, they cry crocodile tears, or they say something, and now we're supposed to allow them back into ministry. And and that's that's not biblical, is it, Wade? No, it isn't. You know, because, again, you go back to the definition here, and I always say go back to go back to the definition, and when you look at the details, the details often disrupt that definition. And so what is often revealed is that this simply isn't a personal matter. This is a community matter. And so it's not just about what this person deserves or what even would be good for this person. It's about what the community needs and what is good for the protection of this group of group of people. Mm-hmm. And so it, so often we, we, we miss some of that because the, uh, the abuse of people are defining everything for us. Mm-hmm. I want to spend our last few minutes talking about how to recover from this, because I know that there are people listening who have been on the receiving end of this, and maybe they're still at the church or Christian organization, they're still under it, but some of them have left, and and now they're, and I've heard this from so many people who say, man, I just feel so stupid, like, I don't even trust my spiritual discernment anymore. I was for years at this place where somebody was lying to me, where somebody was a wolf in sheep's clothing, and I didn't even get it, so I don't even trust myself to go back to a church, to pick a church, and, and, and a lot of them choose, and this is what's so sad, they choose isolation, and I get it. But that's not a place of healing either, is it? It's not. And to go back to the image that I used at the beginning of our time together of, of the garden, um, it would be very normal and natural for someone who's experienced that pit open up beneath them to never want to enter into a, into a garden again. Um, mm-hmm. Not every garden has a pit below it, so to speak. And however, uh, there are... There are places, there are people, there are uh, communities that are healthy, that are life-giving, that are for your good. And how do you enter back into that? And and at the same time, uh, you're wrestling with the memory of what happened when you last did that. And so I think we need to give space for that and appreciate how difficult that is but it's helping people begin to see the signs. And so often evil is going to use uh, language, words of coercion, and sometimes that shows up in flattery, sometimes that shows up in offers to help, uh, sometimes that shows up in favors and gifts. So um, sometimes we call these kind of behaviors grooming behaviors. And so you can learn to identify these signs and and be wary of of what is happening when, when, when you see that. And one of my uh, favorite quotes uh, to help us understand this is, comes from a man named Joseph Brodsky, uh, who was ex- exiled by the Soviet Union. And I don't have the quote in front of me, but he said something to the effect to a group of students that evil, we, we think evil is going to come through our doors wearing big black boots. He says, it doesn't come like that. 
Mm. It shows up in the language. Look at the language. And so I think people can learn to identify indicators of abusive behavior, abusive intent in other people's language um, through charming behavior, through flattering speech, that kind of thing. And to listen to that when you hear that and wonder, you know, is something, is something off here? And, and so I, I think somebody can enter into a new community and have eyes to see, and they can use that as a way to protect them. But hopefully they'll find that there are people out there who aren't objectifying them, aren't, aren't seeing them as a target to be used, but actually want to love them in a sacrificial way. And so as a person begins to trust again and begins to experience that, I think that can have a powerful healing effect on them. Yeah, absolutely. And Wade, I want to thank you for helping us do that today, identify the language and be able to identify what's going on. And I just want to remind us, Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I know it's so hard when someone in spiritual authority abuses us, because for many of us, that person was a father figure or even represented Christ in the church to us. And now we're left reeling and alienated from the very people and institutions that can help us. And even though God's heart, it breaks for us. Sometimes we're afraid to trust again. We're afraid to even trust God. I think... God gets that. And I think he says today he wants to gather you into his arms. I hope you'll be open to that. Again, thanks to Dr. Wade Mullen for joining me today. And just a reminder, if you missed any part of this show, you can get the full audio at julieroy, spelled R-O-Y-S, dot com. Hope you have a great weekend and God bless.